Unmakers. I'm Tim Burrows from Unmade. Welcome to The Unmakers, a series in which I talk to people who are trying to remake the media and marketing world. Each episode, I talk to people who are doing business differently. We're going to meet the startups, the troublemakers and the dreamers who've looked at the communications industry and are trying to find a better way. If you're an unmaker with a story to tell about how you're changing the media and marketing world, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at tim at unmade.media. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. In today's episode of The Unmakers, I talk to Luke Sparno, co-founder of Avid Collective. Avid Collective is an unusual player in the digital space. It's carving out a place within the long tail of native content with the aim of making it easier for media agencies and brands to work with smaller publishers. That's a reinvention from where Avid started as a much more typical digital publisher. I began by asking Luke how they got to this point. Yeah, I mean, I think the broader context is we, we started our journey in the media space as uh, independent publisher, digital publisher. that um, was very focused on lifestyle, night, you know, nights out, things like that. I kind of call it timeout 0.5 was kind of what it was. Like it wasn't doing anything um, super, super unique when we first started. Um, we kind of evolved that, bit, that kind of publishing business to do some unique things in terms of we got really into video and social video when all that was kind of popping off and kind of had the concept of taking long form articles into video forms and taking them into the newsfeed, which allowed us to grow quite a significant sized um, media brand and then ended up scaling that out to a few different media brands. So we had seven in the end that we were running, essentially just social pages, so kind of influencers without the face. They were reaching about five or six million Australians a month. So, you know, doing significant volume. And in those days, that was broadly, it was a sort of advertising model at that point? Yeah, advertising model, um, everything was content. So it was all about native content um, is kind of the word we use. So, you know, but we can compensate branded content, sponsored content, sponsored editorial, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, working with brands on, um, you know, a native content model. So, you know, brands paying for content to be created about them and then, the distribution of that content to the audience and the amplification. We've always had the vision that, or the perspective that advertising is, is going to head more towards a consumer-centric model. You know, uh, typical advertising, very disruptive, you know, not giving audiences a great experience and just kind of something that um, they put up with. And, and obviously as advertisers and marketers, that's something you have to contend with each and every day. So we've always been focused on how do we create better advertising? How do we unlock the benefits of creating advertising that has a positive influence on the consumer? So thus have always been focused on native content and that kind of set the set the basis for when we kind of where we are now, which, you know, as we were building out that business, you know, one of the core difficulties with native content is working is that collaborative partnership with a brand and there were definitely pain points in working processes that we were having with brands. And so we thought as a really big point of difference to a lot of the other independent publishers, so the junkie media or pedestrian, which you know, wasn't quite owned by nine to that point, Urban List, you know, Concrete Playground, all of those types of publishers, a real value proposition for us could be developing a platform to make working with our brands much easier. We also developed some specific what we call campaign solutions, which are basically different 
ways of running campaigns to make the campaigns who are running more sophisticated and have a bit more of a media or kind of advertising lens so they could compare to kind of other channels. Um, and as we rolled that out, we found that they were really valuable differentiators for us in the market. But where we couldn't compete with the other guys was the way of growing audiences and engaging audiences. They just had better content, better brands. We're putting a lot more effort into that and we're probably, you know, that was their passion point, whereas ours was actually creating better advertising and better marketing. And so, you know, we were kind of, as you say, kind of had this platform that, and, and kind of ways of working and ways of doing native content that were, you know, I think more competitive and, and better than the competitors, but we didn't have the publishing brands. And so that's, you know, not as useful. So that was when we kind of had a bit of that inflection point of going, okay, well, our point of differences can be our best scaled by actually going and working with a lot of these publishers, building out a media network and trying to create a bit of a do a kind of take the aggregation approach and, and kind of take a lot of our, our platform and our ways of working to the broader market and actually make the entire category a lot more accessible, a lot more scalable, a lot more impactful and kind of take on the rest of the advertising market, if that kind of makes sense. So to use the sort of the the, the tech terminology, it's almost uh, offering kind of, uh, I'm probably stretching it too far, but native content as a service. Yeah. This idea that um, people can kind of, you know, go on and, and manage everything from one dashboard. Um, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll get you, you to explain in your own words. So from, from an advertiser point of view, what the experience is, and then maybe what's happening at the other end at the publisher and obviously your role in the middle between those two. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think maybe just to, before that in terms of that, you know, native content as a service element. I think what we're really trying to do is go, if you look at what programmatic and, and you know, a lot of the DSPs did for the display space was... The demand side platforms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What they did was make buying display, you know, much easier to scale, much easier to work across a myriad of different publishers. So the diversity got much bigger and thus the impact got much better. And so that entire channel went from manual IOs and, you know, essentially only having relationships with say five to 10 publishers to now being able to have relationships with hundreds of publishers, still personalize the creative that I'm delivering and just, but still have one point of you know place that I'm kind of buying from. And so I think we're trying to do the same thing for native content. We're not trying to you know do the actual programmatic purchasing because there's still, you know, it's, you still kind of got to have individual um, ways of working with the different publishers, but um, that same unlocking point. So in terms of the experience, what it kind of looks like is, you know, so we've basically got about 140 publishers, um, digital publishers in the Australian market. They all have profiles on the platform. So it's that kind of network aggregation model. Uh, we've got tools in the platform to be able to discover their profiles, information about their pro profiles, so curate and filter different elements. So it makes that you know, discovery portion of the process of figuring out if I want to buy native content or how to buy native content much, much easier. Then the ability to build a campaign with a myriad of publishers and then use one platform to be able to work with those different publishers. And we kind of use the, the moniker brief once personalized everywhere. So, you know, you're only doing one set of briefing that's going into the platform, but then that will be distributed out to the publishers. It's still the publishers, individual content creators that are creating the content. So it's still their editors, their writers. If you're doing a video piece, they're, they're video editors, and then they're uploading the content to the platform. So you've got one platform to be able to review and approve that content and it's a workflow platform from there out to kind of carry through the campaign. And at that point when the brief goes up, it's for the publishers to kind of effectively say, 
yes, I'll take the brief or to come back with their proposal for how they're going to respond to the brief? Yeah, we've, we've really, and I guess this is the thing about our proposition, we've really tried to balance the people and the platform side of things of our offering, right? So there's a platform element that allows you to run a campaign end to end, but then we've kind of got that, as you say, native content as a service offering over the top, which is our team of strategists who are kind of working with clients and, and kind of partnerships team to build those campaigns. And so what that means is we've kind of developed pretty deep relationships with all the different publishers. We will usually try and work with the advertiser on their media plan, ultimately what publishers they're going to work with then. So the kind of finalized media plan is established and then the requests go out to the publishers to say, hey, this client wants to work with you on this campaign, this amount of budget, these products. So these different native content products that you've got, do you want to accept the campaign, yes or no? So that the publisher has got information on what the focus points are going to be, what the strategy is going to be, what their role in the campaign is going to be, and then they can make a decision. 99% of the time they say yes. Uh, and then a more deeper brief comes through for the content side of things. Um, so we're, we're really trying to take out, you know, one of the biggest strains on publishing businesses is the brief and brief response phase uh, for, for all media businesses. But I think especially for independent publishers, which are a lot of, you make up a lot of the you know bulk of our network, that process of doing response to briefs and winning 20, 30, 40% of the time, a lot of resource goes into, you know, ideas and strategy that don't, that doesn't come to life. So, you know, a big part of what we're trying to do is help take that out of their hands. So it's, you know, higher margin revenue that's coming through the door for them because they're not having to do a lot of that education work. They're not having to do a lot of that strategy work that's kind of done at the briefing stage, you know, between us and the client. And does Avid also take on responsibility to the client for the the quality of what's going to come back? Yeah, we definitely play a role in that. We definitely are there to help uplift the quality and give that assurances to the client that the quality is going to be there. I think whenever one of the complex parts about native content is that you are collaborating on creating content and you're creating content ultimately it's going to live in the publisher's environment. And I think one of the big difficulties that advertisers have previously had is that each publisher has different ways of working. They have different standards. They um, have different tone of voice. It's just, it's, it's very fragmented as a result. And so a big part of the, and then their ways of communicating and, and running campaigns can sometimes be complex because they're very protective. And so we're trying to act as a Mediator is not the right word, but as, as kind of experts in the space to be able to come up with solutions that work for both sides, that make the ecosystem more harmonious, that then means that, yeah, the client's getting that kind of um, those guarantees and those assurances that the quality is going to be high. And I think that's so crucial in the advertising space, right? Like creating the perfect platform that enables the client to do, you know, what they need to do to run a campaign is not enough. We're dealing with enterprise clients, brands, agencies who are time poor and aren't necessarily experts in the channel, they need those you know, extra set of hands to support them and, and really make sure that the quality is high if they're going to invest significantly in the category. It feels almost um, not dissimilar to some of the functions of a media agency in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we work about 70% of our revenue comes from media agencies. I think where we massively try and differentiate is where we're trying to unlock the channel for, for media agencies, right? They We believe they want to invest heavily in the category. It's, it's, it's in the brands that they serve its interests. It's just very time consuming. And so for all those media agencies, the return on investment is not there um, in terms of if they've got a million dollar budget to spend and they could kind of recommend that going towards 
you know, say something that can be programmatically bought versus something that's going to be a lot more hands-on and they're working on a percentage of spend model, where's the incentive for them that's going to take a lot more head hours to be able to execute, right? So we're not trying to necessarily take, I, mean, I think the, the core role of a media agency is channel planning and, and kind of how do I bring this campaign to life across the different channels? And then how do we go, okay, we've chosen native content for these reasons, we're going to help you facilitate in a much, much easier way. Again, our focus is still on the platform side of things because that's where ultimately scale comes from and, 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 you know, building a platform that can take care of every single step and, and take ultimately a novice through the process and allow them to create really high quality content. So that is our focus. But I just think having a very hands-on client success experience is fundamental to driving adoption of new technology and new services. So that's just kind of, we're just trying to balance that, especially while we're growing and, you know, driving adoption within agencies and clients. But I think, you know, as clients become familiar, we get less and less hands off and we offer savings to them as a result. So, you know, if they're starting with a managed service offering, obviously there's a bit more costs on our side and fees. Whereas as they start to take over more of the planning and strategy elements, they can kind of unlock savings as a result. So we are trying to balance for all use cases based on where a client or an agency is at on their journey. And understanding the business model from your point of view, I, I presume it's a bit like a media sales house where you take a commission on each piece of business that you pass along to these uh, to these publishers. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, I, I think our business is takes like a marketplace model, right? But then we've got the workflow platform as well. So it's the marketplace in terms of a yeah, you're clipping the ticket in terms of a percentage of spend. But then we've got a you know, we're taking care of the. Um, there's a workflow platform that's helping manage the campaign and kind of a managed service or people on top of that. So, um, yeah. And what is your standard, your standard kind of clip of the ticket? Um, I think, you know, people often talk about a sort of a 20 or 30%, something like that. Is it, is it in that sort of region? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So it's, a, it's about um, 22.5% in terms of the publisher revenue. And so really focused on, you know, again, so from that perspective, we're, we're trying to drive incremental revenue into publishers and make sure that that's high margin for them as well. Mm, okay. Um, now, it's worth talking a bit about, and I never know whether to call it content marketing or native content or something else. I know there's there's always a bit of a debate about terminology. Um, what What do you actually see... Well, firstly, let's let, let's answer the question why I think you you prefer the term native content. So let's let's maybe start by talking about why that's the right terminology, and then we'll just talk about that space a bit more generally. Yeah, fair. Um, yeah, there's definitely a whole myriad of different words, and and um, you know many different phrases that different people use, and that's one of the things that makes the space difficult to work in. Um, we use native content because it's. It was originally coined by, I think, Tim Duggan was one of the worst originators and definitely the person who, you know, put a lot of time and effort into making it famous when kind of launched Junkie. Tim Duggan over at Junkie Media. Junkie Media back in the day. I know he did a lot of work with Mia Friedman and Mamma Mia in terms of, you know, really making that term and the category famous, really launching the category into the market. Native content is about working in collaboration with a brand and a publisher, but then the content living in the publisher's environments. And so it's kind of natively existing in that space. I think other terms that get used like branded content and things like that more actually refer to content that's created in partnership, but the assets can be used in any different environment. Um, and so, you know, and then content marketing to us is content that's created by a brand for the brand's own channels, you know, so HCF creating content for their own HCF environment and so you know i think native content is just 
the most accurate definition in terms of what we are facilitating, which is content that's created, you know, ultimately by the publisher, but in partnership with an advertiser that focuses on an advertiser's brands or services, but then lives in the publisher's environment. Um, and so, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's clear. And in terms of that wider environment, I suppose I think about the likes of Taboola and Outbrain, who certainly helped grow the general kind of content marketing space. But, you know, I think a criticism these days would be a, a, a lot of the content that they connect consumers with the content on is, is quite low quality. Yeah. How how do you see the space generally? Because it, it feels like it's got a bit of a bad name these days. Well, yeah, I mean, we we definitely would position the Outbrain and Taboola offerings as being native ads, not native content. You know, if you're going to an Outbrain or Taboola, you are looking to distribute content that you've already created. So they've definitely given, I think, the word native a bit of a dirty name and and kind of, you know, um, tarnished it a little bit because, as you say, a lot of the content that gets distributed through there is quite low quality. Um, At the end of the day, those platforms and, and, and what they're serving is ad placements on a publisher's site, right? So, yes, they've done a better job at dressing up the ad placement and making it feel more native than an average display banner or, you know, um, yeah, any kind of other ad placement. But at the end of the day, it is still a publisher or, sorry, an advertiser paying for real estate on someone else's environment and having a fair amount of controls to what they put there and thus, you know, doesn't necessarily have the consumer experience interests at heart. Whereas for us, native content is all about working with a publisher to create content that is going to provide value to the consumer, right? And so that doesn't, that can mean in terms of how it's communicated, in terms of the information that's included, and it's much richer in terms of you're actually working with the publisher to create content specifically, right? So content produced by that publisher. So whether that's a long form article or a video or a set of social posts or whatever that is, you know, it is ultimately the content that publisher in the same format that that publisher is creating each and every day, right? And what a publisher is great at, creating value for their audiences, communicating to their audiences, engaging their audiences. And so it's leveraging that publisher's skill sets to be able to do that for your brand. Well, you've sort of touched on that sort of opportunity to become a bit kind of lower touch over time as well. Um, How are you thinking about how you kind of integrate automation or even AI into the product? Yeah, I mean, a big, maybe a bit more broadly, we see, you know, one of the difficulties with native content is because it is resource intensive, it's a more creative space it requires collaboration as a result prices are higher right there's premium pricing associated with that now you are creating a much richer more engaging denser content format you're getting a lot more attention from the audience so cpms and things like that being higher absolutely makes sense because you're getting a much more impactful experience but technology the opportunity with technology is to massively simplify a lot of those workflows to bring costs down overall, which then makes the channel drive much greater return on investment for advertisers, thus going to grow the channel, right? So that's massively the space that we're trying to sit in is looking at this category that's currently very manual between publisher and and advertiser, a lot of Excel sheets, a lot of email chains, you know, the average kind of email chain we might see between a publisher and agency is like 150 per campaign emails. 
massive amounts of back and forth and complications or running out of spreadsheets, right? So our focus is how do we sit in the middle of that and create a technology solution that makes that entire process much more seamless, um, much more automated in terms of a lot of the manual steps, in terms of setting timelines and to-do lists and stakeholder management and communication and follow-ups and all of that to be taken care of for a platform. So inherently, that's going to mean that there's less management costs on both the publisher and the advertiser side. So instantly, costs are going to go down from the publisher and head hours required from the advertiser are going to go down. So return on investment increases massively. I think when you start looking at things like AI, it's kind of two key elements where I think that massively comes into it. The first is the strategy element. So when trying to develop a strategy, you've got a core basis, creative platform or a strategy that you're trying to take, but you're now trying to kind of scale out how that can come to life in a range of different publishers or a range of different environments. I think AI is very good at extrapolating a concept and being able to apply it out, especially if you train it very smartly on, you know, the different publishers perhaps that you're trying to work with and things like that. So we're kind of actually working on um, that as part of our, you know, we've got a big 2.0 platform launch coming up. So it's kind of the second version of our platform. So something to help with that. And then the second is the distribution of content. So once content is um, being amplified or is kind of being distributed across a range of channels, an average campaign that we work with has five or six different publishers and leverages three or four different channels from each of those publishers. So you've got 20 different, you know, distribution points of that, of different content pieces going out. You know, um, the process of analyzing which one's working well and optimizing towards it, again, very time consuming. Whereas, um, you know, we've built a system to be able to analyze those reporting and make recommendations and then ultimately make optimizations so that you are, you know, more of your spend is going towards the content that's having impacts that's driving the results that you want to drive. What do you, how do you think the, this is just just sort of going into the kind of, I guess, the general sort of philosophy around native content. Um, how, you know, I guess we've had a decade of it now. How do you think consumers perceive it? You know, do they do they see a big difference in native content versus pure editorial content or do they even notice the difference yeah i mean i think the first call out is that you know every publisher that we work with labels their native content so it is clearly defined as you know this is being produced or sponsored by a specific brand so i think just to make that clear i think i think audiences the, the big focus from the publishers that we work with and, and i think their approach to native content and you know we do curate who we work with is how do I create value for the audience in any content piece that I am publishing, right? How do I make this content piece interesting, engaging, valuable to the audience member? So I think ultimately, I think audiences have a really positive perspective on it because I think that, um, yeah, they, that the publishers do a very good job at knowing their audience and knowing how to create value from them. From a lot of surveys that the different publishers have, you know, the data on, um, trust of the publisher and value that they get from the native content is extremely high, like in the kind of 17, 80% in terms of, yes, I find this valuable. Yes, I find this enjoyable. Yes, I find this useful. Ultimately, a lot of what consumers get out of digital publishers is recommendations, right? Is that is that trusted partner or that trusted voice to give them guidance on where to spend their time, where to spend their money? So I think it just inherently fits with you know, particularly, you know, independent publishers, passion point publishers that are focused on specific elements have built, you know, if you've got Urbanist, who's a, you know, expert in specific lifestyle choices, food and drink, things like that, 
Um, we are explorers, experts in travel, outdoors, and adventure. Um, you know, you've got yeah, many different publishers that focus on specific passion points, and I think you know they're the ones that see the highest levels of engagement and dwell time and trust and you know kind of guidance in their recommendations because that's what the audience follows them for. It's why they consume their content, right? Um, so to ask a super meta question. Um, I was, when I was just researching for our conversation today, I was reading a piece you wrote for MI3, um, which is in itself, and I'm just looking at their label, partner content. So as a reader, that tells me that you wrote, you effectively paid MI3 to run that piece in your words. Now, I think this just makes me probably just a curmudgeonly old-fashioned church and state journalist, but... How do you think about the, the the two, I guess, states of content, you know, and, and how the how much weight a, a, a reader does or should give to either one? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the important thing on the MI three piece is that it's it's from me, so I'm the byline, right? So it's not I haven't, you know, yeah, that that piece is specifically coming from me. It's written as a you know semi thought leadership piece. So that's interesting because I suppose that's not the traditional model you've been talking about for native content then. Correct. Yeah, it's a bit of a different model. And I think for a trade publication, I think important for them to be able to kind of separate and go, yes, you know, Avid and and Luke is supporting MI3 in terms of existing in this space and getting distribution to our network. But, you know, yeah, we will still write about them editorially. And that's a separate, you know, separate stream of work of which, you know, I think all the trade publications do you know, a good job of that. But I think in this case, it's, yeah, this is a piece that probably isn't thought leadership enough to get published without it. So it's got a more habit skew to it, but it's still written with the goal of providing value to the audience. And it's, you know, you know, it's, it's produced in partnership with MI3. So they are giving guidance in terms of what their audience likes. They're giving editing feedback and things like that. So it is a, a partnership in that sense. They're not allowing, you know, me and Abbott and other clients to publish whatever they want through those channels. Like it is still a curated and a partnership experience. And I, 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 I do want to jam in as much as we can in the minutes we have, have remaining. So I would love to just get in a little bit more to just a picture of your business now. Um, how big are you? How many on your team? Yeah, so we've got a team of 28 within Australia. Uh, I've got some overseas staff as well, just kind of support staff and things like that. Um, yeah, the team split across kind of partnerships, you know, working with different clients, um, advertisers and agencies, client success, so implementing and the strategy side of things, and then the product team who are building out everything from a platform and an offering and a solution standpoint that we're working on. And are you still the sole owner? Yeah, we've got a, um, a myriad of kind of different smaller investors. We've kind of had a few different angel investors that have come on from a um, you know media background and um, that type of thing, but yeah, primarily uh, it's owned by kind of the three core founders that set the business up, with me kind of being the, the primary person who's um, yeah running the business. And would you look to do more investment rounds to grow faster, or are you now at the point where you can stand on your own feet? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. So we're kind of at a point where we can stand on our own feet. We've always been very focused on getting the business to you know a healthy financial place and, and not being dependent on ex- external funding. We've got kind of the launch of our big 2.0 platform going out and at the end of September. And on the back of that, 
you know, we feel like the product is will be in a in a firmly global leading place. And so we definitely have aspirations of being able to, you know, obviously further grow and scale within the Australian market, but then take that product and, and our solution overall overseas. So, you know, to do that's an expensive exercise and, and definitely we'll look for funding to be able to do that. But, you know, to be kind of pure growth funding to help us take that next step and, you know, really take on the world, I guess. And that would be... Uh, would that just potentially be just just investment funding or more likely to come from a publisher or a media owner or somebody on the tech side of things, do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's probably three types of investments or three different, you know, people out there, right? There's the venture capital space, which I think that it probably most reasonably fits into because it's high growth, tech-focused business that's, you know, solving an entire category problem, like it fits what what they're after, Um and, and now that the tech has got to the point where it is, I think it's a really good use case for those types of you know investment funds. There's then the tech ad tech players that um, you know, so people like your impacts or you know those types of businesses that are kind of sitting focused on an ad tech solution but have some managed service. Like they're kind of a you know one a second bucket. And then there's obviously the third bucket of yeah older more legacy media players that are building out different media solutions. I think it's. From a valuation standpoint and like a you know what's going to be of most value to the business you know bucket number one is going to be the most valuable because they're a bit more less price sensitive and they're more focused on helping you achieve the biggest of goals um, and so they're kind of a bit more comfy in that space whereas you know the media owners are always going to be a lot more conservative on price they're always going to be you know very kind of respective to you know how their business is valued and all of that type well, of let, stuff let's so give the yeah. the opportunity for the bloke if a vc does want to talk to you how do they get hold of you yeah, I mean, emails Luke Spano at avacollective.com.au. There's a website, get in touch, you know, anything that comes through from that side will um, yeah, we'll get through to me or LinkedIn is, um, works as well. Perfect. And then final question I always ask everybody, what would your supporters say about you and what would your critics say about you? Yeah, I do like uh, this question or this set of questions that you ask. I think um, supporters would be, I mean, I think the first is, epic native content campaigns done in an efficient fashion. Like I think it's at the core proposition. That's what we're unlocking is native content at scale that's more impactful and more efficient. I think more broadly as a business and, and a team of, of people that are running the business, very focused on solving a really valuable problem and challenge. You know, I think advertising we all know is a disruptive, you know, experience for audiences and consumers and that inherently creates problems. And I think focusing on a challenge or a problem that, that and the opportunity that native content offers to, to brands and marketers is a really valuable one. Um, and then innovative, I think we've been always been very focused on thinking outside the box and trying to build solutions that properly solve the problem and solve it for scale and, and not just being kind of good operators. It's kind of trying to create something that has yeah, greater and deeper value. And what would your critics say? Yeah, and the critics, I think, I mean, I think to your original point where you started, there's definitely... You know, there would be critics saying that it's complex to figure out what we do and what the service offering is and what is Avid. It's kind of been in the name and the brand's been in market for a few years. But, you know, I think we've definitely had a bit of an inconsistent message as we've been evolving as a business and it's a complex proposition to explain. So I think that makes it difficult. Uh, and I think as a business, we could be simpler overall in terms of ways of working. You know, the first version of platform we've had in market for the last 18 months is has been good without being game-changing and that's why this 2.0 platform I've mentioned a couple of times is that game-changing step for us because it's the shift from what we thought was going to be good to what we know is going to be good based on our time in market so far. Well I can't wait to see it and Luke thank you so much for your time.
Appreciate it, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to The Unmakers from Unmade. If you're an unmaker, I'd love to talk to you. Email me, tim at unmade.media. Today's episode of The Unmakers was edited by Abe's Audio. I'm Tim Burrows. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. The Unmakers. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.